All right, well, we're going we're gonna to move on to uh, the last part of Mark. We've been going through uh, Mark, and if, if it's okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to review a little bit, uh, and then we'll go on to the last part of 15 and 16. So just a brief review. Uh, how many of you all were in one of the services last week? You heard the teaching from last week, or you've listened to it online. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, everybody say, L-O-I. Eloi, Lama, Sabachthani. Okay, so I'm not teaching everybody how to speak in tongues. That is Aramaic. And uh, some people have asked, well, why are there a few words that are called Aramaic? Or or they're written in Aramaic? So after that said, what happens is um, Mark writes that um, some people thought he was calling on Elias. And so in the Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, uh, my God, my God, sounds like Elijah, Elijah. And so to get, the, to get what was going on, they probably spoke Aramaic. You know, we think they spoke Hebrew, but the, the, the language throughout that area was Aramaic. And uh, the New Testament was probably written in Aramaic or possibly written in Aramaic. Uh, certainly it was copied into Aramaic early on, some of the early... Um, copies we have are written in Aramaic. So, Eloi, Eloi, Lamas, Bakhtani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so we concentrated on one aspect of the cross, and we went through all the people that had rejected Jesus. Uh, first, he was uh, uh, turned over by the religious leaders. Can you imagine all of the leaders in town who are religious, all the pastors getting in town and, and and saying, not only do we reject you, but we want you killed. And then paying a guy, one of your own disciples, over in Psalms, it says, my own familiar friend who went to the house of the Lord has forsaken me. And he was forsaken with a kiss. Um, and then uh, it goes on, and an and individual disciple forsakes him, and then they all leave him. Uh, then the political, so you've got, you've got your friends, you've got the, the political and then he's on the cross, and what does he do? He's been rejected by everybody, and ultimately, at the end, he's going to be rejected by God. We also pointed out that we think Mark was there. He was the guy that was uh, just wearing a, a sort of a, a linen cloth, and he runs off. And so Mark probably really felt the rejection that, that was directed toward Christ. Not rejecting because you didn't believe, but because you didn't believe enough to die with him. And uh, so then Jesus is hanging on the cross. And remember the three things? Can you remember the three things? First of all, he says, Father, forgive them. Now, this is a guy that's been rejected, sold, um, betrayed, stabbed in the back. First thing he does, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, stop and think about it. What's the two commandments? Love God and love each other. What's life all about? It's being connected like God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are connected and living life together, and they wanted to live that with us. And Jesus has been rejected by every institution and every individual that's set up in the world. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that's the foundation for what God needs to do in the earth is to impart forgiveness because people live in separation because others have offended them. And so Jesus says, look, guys, 
Have you seen anybody more rejected than me? Here I hang, stripped, naked, beat. And it is possible to live a life of forgiveness. And so he forgives them. Then he goes to his family and he says, I have responsibilities to my family. I'm not going to leave that undone. And he chooses one of his disciples and he says, Michael, behold your mother. Mary, behold your son. And he leaves. I would have done you two, but it's really mother and son. And, and so it was, it was, this is my friend and I've taught him my importance. And so he's been rejected, forsaken by everybody. First, he forgives everybody. Then he specifically reenters his family responsibilities. And then the last thing he does is he becomes the gospel to a thief hanging next to him. Now, isn't that a beautiful, beautiful Savior? Listen, guys, your problem is that you don't love each other. Let me show you how you're supposed to act when you're unloved. But not only when you act unloving, you defile your relationship with God. Sin is basically not loving each other. And when you do that, you are rejected from the household of God. And so because you can't forgive each other, you can't go to heaven. He says that specifically in a couple of his teachings. He says, however, if I will suffer the rejection of God on your behalf, it will provide an opportunity for you to return and to walk in relationship with God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus suffered the consequences of sin, most of which is separation from each other and then ultimately from God so that we could be restored to God. That was last week. This week, we're going to get him out of the grave pretty quick. And then I want to talk about some of the things that happened uh, in, in, the, in the cross, okay? I, I, to be honest, maybe, maybe somebody else will do it over these next couple of weeks. I have been in sermons where they've preached the resurrection, and it's like, man, I feel like I'm floating. But I don't know why it's hard for me to, to preach the resurrection, And, and get it to that place where you feel it. And it's like you, you jump and you feel like if you jump too hard, you'll go straight to heaven. Um, I believe in the resurrection. I do. I just don't think I can preach well enough to, to, to tackle that topic. It just, it's just never as powerful coming out of my mouth as it is in my heart. And so I'm going to task Bill with preaching the resurrection next week. <laughs> But we do want to talk about it. So let's go ahead and read. We're going to read Mark 15, 42. And we're going to go through 16, 6. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage, and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. 
Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning a centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Hallelujah. Lord, bless this sermon, uh, this teaching, uh, this scripture. Amen. So, three things that we'll concentrate on to start with, and then then we'll move on. Uh, But the three most important things probably in all of Christianity, Christ was crucified, Christ was buried, and Christ rose again the third day. Mark, of course, we know, was the earliest gospel written, and he wanted to get all of the essentials in, and surely he got the essentials in here. Uh, First of all, um, he wants to verify that Jesus was dead. Now remember, John uh, records the story of Lazarus, which happens the week before the, the Passion. And that is the last miracle that Jesus uh, performs. And it's Lazarus. The one thing in that story that I want to remind you of is he stinketh. Um, Remember, Jesus waited four days to come. And he's kind of chided. Lord, if you had been here, uh, he wouldn't have died. And then Jesus says, he's not dead. Uh, He sleeps. And or maybe he died for the glory of God. It's one or the other. But anyway, he says, roll the stone away. Lord, it's been four days. Surely he stinketh. In other words, he's not dead. He's stinking dead. And so again, Jesus is crucified the day before the Sabbath. And so they take his body down about midday and they take it and they put it in a tomb. It's been there Saturday or Friday night, and uh, then all day Saturday, and then sometime on Sunday, um, these women, they get up and they go to see Jesus uh, to have the stone rolled away so they can anoint him. Now, the anointing, uh, these spices, they're not like embalming fluids. They, they smell, and it's to keep the body from, from, from stinking. Uh, Michael, maybe you'll remember in Brothers Karamazov. I don't know if you remember, but um, 
Alyosha was hoping that when Zosima died that his body wouldn't stink because that would sort of indicate that he was a holy man. Um, well, Jesus was going to stink. Uh, at least they thought. But they get there and, and he, he's no longer there. Uh, but the whole idea that he was in for three days just really establishes, yeah, he was dead. <laughs> the, guy, the, the guy was not in a coma. Jesus was dead. But to go even further to make sure, he includes in the story this part. They come to Pilate and ask um, uh, for the body. And Pilate's like, uh, are you sure he's dead? <laughs> I, I, I don't want to let him off the cross before he's dead. So he sends a centurion. And the centurion goes, and I don't know, you know, how the coroner centurions worked back then, but obviously they had a way to determine if he was dead. So not only did he end up being in that tomb for three days, but also before he died, there was official government proclamation, this guy is dead. And so the first thing is, is Mark makes sure you know that this wasn't a game, Jesus was dead. And then it goes on and uh, make sure that you know that he was buried. Um, and he tells the story of Joseph of Arimathea. And he talks about taking him, putting him in the tomb. Um, John eleven thirty eight. 38. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me go ahead and just read uh, these. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him, was dead. That was dead. Said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Okay? Now, Matthew 27, 62, 66. So, he was put in the grave. This is Lazarus. Stone rolled in front of it. Now, this is on the Sabbath. Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 through 66. We're on the Sabbath now. Ten days after the Lazarus thing. Jesus has been there. And on the Sabbath, listen to what the Pharisees say. Now, the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. See what's going on? They're wanting to make sure that he does not come out of that tomb. And so they go, and they say, Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day lest the disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. In other words, we want to make sure he's in that tomb and he stays in that tomb. And so they set centurions. Okay, he's dead, we know. The government said he was dead. The people who took him off knew he was dead. The women knew he was dead. They were going to go and anoint him. Now... Where is he? He's in the tomb. Joseph of Arimathea put him there, and the government set guards to make sure he stayed there. So he's dead. He's in the tomb. Pilate said, Oh, you have a watch. Go your way and make it as sure as you can 
So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So they put a seal on the stone. Now, some people say that it was uh, a, a government seal, do not enter. Some people think they actually sealed it up. I don't know which one it was, but I can tell you this. It was sealed, and there were centurions standing there. He was dead, and he was in that grave. And now, the next point, it needs something better than what I can do. But I'm just going to read it, and I hope it catches your heart. Down in chapter 16, 5 and 6, the last two verses we read. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Dead. Sealed in a tomb. And they show up. The rock is rolled away. I like the way Luke says it. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout. He uses perplexed. Mark said they were affrighted. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Now, that bothers some people. Mark says one person. Uh, Luke says there was two. Mark does not say there weren't two. He says there was one. Luke says, oh yeah, there was one. There was also another. There were two. The thing about the Gospels, they read each other. If, if you, I have a chart in my office. That, Michael, will you go get that chart that's on the tripod for me in my office? You'll see it. Uh, but everything that's in Mark, almost every word in Mark is in Matthew. And almost every word in Mark is in Luke. Mark read Luke and Matthew read Luke. Now, they may, may have just been fishermen, but they weren't dumb. Uh, I, you can set the tripod there. I don't need it. Uh, do you think that they would have written a contradiction like that? No. It wasn't a contradiction. Mark had written it, gotten it out there. Everybody was reading the story. And lo and behold, they had some facts. Luke, he was actually like an investigative reporter. He talked to everybody to get stories, to, to get a, a longer, uh, a, a, a more detailed uh, account of what went on. But uh, you can look at this after church. But you see this right here? That is the book of Mark right there. This is the book of Matthew, and this is the book of Luke. The red, if you'll look at the red, all of the red appears in Matthew and Luke. The only part of Mark that's not in these other two Gospels are the little green parts. And there's only one, two, three, four, five, six... Seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten little lines out of all of it that doesn't appear. So anytime anyone points out a contradiction between Mark and the other two Gospels, they're not contradictions. 
there's no way that, that they would have contradicted one another without getting their story right. Matthew just had some different perspectives that he wanted to add to it. Luke certainly had some other things that he wanted to add to it. It's an interesting chart. You're welcome to, to come up here and look at it when we get done. And so I like the way Luke says it. And uh, let me go ahead and read it. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? I just like it that way. He's not here. He's risen. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And so Christ arose on the third day. Death could not keep him in the ground. Hallelujah. So the cross is the foundation of our message. Paul at one place says, If I boast in anything, as a matter of fact, I will boast in nothing else except one thing, the cross of Jesus Christ. This story of death, burial, and resurrection is our story, our marketing, our great uh, productions, our advertising, that is not what we proclaim. That is not where we believe our strength is. Our strength is in the fact that our Savior died, was buried, and on the third day He rose again. As a matter of fact, it tells us in 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen, if Christ is not raised... Your faith is in vain. Everything else could be true in the Bible. But if Christ didn't come out of that grave, it's an empty religion. And you might as well party hardy. (laughs) Because there's no future for you. Ah, but he did rise. He wasn't taken by surprise all the way up to this point. It's not like all of a sudden... It didn't work out, so he was killed and they had to make up a story. He was telling them all along in the story, I must be crucified and on the third day arise. Back in Mark 9, 30 and 32. This is long before uh, he's crucified or days before he's crucified. They left and passed through Galilee and he didn't know that any man would know it because he was teaching his disciples at that time. And he said to them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and after that he is killed. He shall rise again the third day. But they didn't understand what he was saying. It's our foundation. It's not a made-up story. Jesus knew it was going to happen before it happened. And like I said, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.19 is where it says that um, God was in um, Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And then he goes on to say, if I boast in anything, that's what I'm going to boast in. So what I want to do is I want to look at what happened in the cross. In the resurrection, what actually happened inside of you. And so let me put you in a particular mindset And then we're going to look at some of the things that the Bible says about what happened. Uh, You all know that I had an operation, a hernia operation, uh, eight weeks ago. And here's what I remember about it. 
two of the best nurses in the world prepped me. And two equally wonderful nurses got me ready to leave. That's what I know. That's all I know. I also know that I have three little scars right here and another scar right here. And I also know that my hernia doesn't hurt anymore. But I can't tell you what happened. It was done to me. And I'm better for it. When you believe in your heart and confess Jesus Christ as Lord, it's like you were put to sleep, dead. (laughs) And then you were raised again. And between those two, some amazing things happened. It's better than a hernia operation. The difference between when you went under and when you came out, you will never be able to fathom all that went on. And if, and, and if I would work through back what is anesthesiology, uh, what, is, uh, you know, what, what is sanitation, uh, what is skill, and, and I could go back through all the schools that all those doctors and nurses and anesthesiologists went to and all of the science from the years that went into that 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 operation that lasted about 45 minutes that would not come close remember the curtain tore from top to bottom what did that signify that the spirit of god no longer was confined to a building but it was released now so that jesus could ascend and what would he do with that because of the cross In this operation, the Spirit of God would come and live inside of you. But we see a natural thing happen. What's the other thing that happened? It became dark. Darkness in the Bible always speaks of judgment. It's foreboding. Something's going on. Remember the ninth plague was darkness. And what happened the next day? Passover. (laughs) There's no coincidence there. Can you remember two other things? I mentioned them from the other books that happened. An earthquake. When Moses was up on the mountain and God was declaring the law, the earth quaked. God's doing something. The earth is quaking. And what's the last thing that happened? After that earthquake, graves broke open and people came out of the grave and walked around. Now here's what's important to understand about this. The power of God is moving and working. Did the curtains say, tear us? Did the sky say, turn me dark? Did the mountains say, shake me? And did those dead people say, raise me? No. The power of God came and it happened. I want to tell you something. When you, when you go from darkness and you see that God sent Jesus and you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, boom. You don't have to say, God, will you redeem me? God, will you heal me? 
God will you, God will you. All you say is you are Lord. And you are brought out of darkness into a marvelous light that operates in you. And things go on. Hallelujah. Now, what happens later on is you have to come into agreement with what God's done and walk like. Yeah, have you ever heard somebody like, like maybe you want to, maybe you're over at Red River Gorge and, and you've gotten up to Natural Bridge and you're getting ready to walk across and somebody in the group says, I can't do it. It's not that they can't do it. They can do it. They just don't know that they can do it. And so the whole group gets around them and spends 15 minutes convincing them they can. And then you all walk across together. Listen, God has done some things inside of us. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man that which God has prepared for those that love him. But he's revealed it to us by the Spirit. And so this morning... I want us just to drink in what God has done in the cross. I'm going to go through these pretty quick. All right. First of all, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2.24. Who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Colossians two twelve through 14 Buried with him in baptism, where also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has quickened you together with him, having forgiven you all of your trespasses. When you declare, I believe... Your sins are forgiven. There's nothing we know any better than that because he said it on the cross. I don't care what they've done to me. You know, you may have done some things that you think God cannot forgive you for. You did not spit on him, beat him, mock him, sell him, crucify him, strip naked You've done some bad things. Okay. Have you done that? Well, to the very people that had done that, he looked them in the eye and said, Father, forgive them. They're insane. They're blinded. They're in darkness. And when he died on that cross, he appropriated the ability for God to forgive you in the day that you believe. If you're sitting here this morning and you have made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, you are forgiven. Now, some of you don't feel like it. Some of you all act like you've done worse than spit in the face of Jesus, strip him naked, slam a bunch of thorns. I don't care what you believe. I know the truth. Here's what I know. You are forgiven. You are. Everybody say, I'm forgiven. All right, let's keep going. You're saved. 2 Corinthians 5.19 To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 
not imputing their trespasses unto them, see, the sin, you're forgiven of your sin, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Romans 5.10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You were saved when you said, I believe that God raised Christ from the dead and that he'll forgive me. The word saved, and you're going to find that this is like, you know, you know when they draw all those circles and they intersect? All of these intersect in some way. But the word saved is the word delivered. It's like somebody who is in a place that they can't get out of. It's like when they were in bondage in, in Egypt and they could not live the way they wanted to. God saved them. He delivered them. And this scripture in Romans where it says, because you're reconciled, you're saved. It's through reconciliation. But you are saved. You are delivered. You were in bondage before, but you have been delivered from that bondage. You may think that you don't have the ability to live the life that God has provided for you. You may feel like You can't do what you want to do. Or you may feel like you do some things that you don't want to do. But the truth is, you are delivered. You are saved. Saved doesn't mean now you're not going to go to hell. Saved means you are delivered from the bondage of sin. You are delivered from the inability to walk righteous. And it happened when Jesus died on the cross. We are redeemed. Another one of those circles that overlap. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. There's so many stories in the Old Testament that talk about all kinds of bondages and inabilities and brokenness. And they all have some kind of nuance. The word redeemed, okay, when they were brought out of uh, bondage, they were delivered. But there's another way that you can get out of bondage, and it's by being redeemed. And in order to redeem somebody, you had to pay a price to redeem them. So not only are you brought out, but in another respect, you have been redeemed. The price of your deliverance has been offered up, and now you're free. You've been let out by the power of God, but also legally, justly, you've been redeemed. The law has been nailed to the tree, and it has no claim on you, because what God has done in His Son on the cross has bought you redeemed you, paid the price. Number four, we are justified. Acts 17.31. So, uh, this is in the middle of a sermon that's being preached. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. So the world is going to be judged Are you righteous or unrighteous? But he's going to do that through Jesus. 
And it's through Jesus he's given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. The resurrected Christ will be the judge. And he will judge according to his resurrection. And so then in Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and 25 says, We are justified freely by his grace. And down at the end of 26 it says that he might be just and the justifier of him which believed in Jesus. I'll give you my notes when I get finished, Doc. 1731 in Acts, Romans 3, 24 and 26. Justified freely by his grace, you will stand before God. Stop and think of two or three of your worst sins that you've committed in the past. You got that in mind? That's okay, Laura. Laura looks really confused, like, surely I've sinned sometime. Huh? This, uh, I don't know. I think you might have to think long and hard before you come up with So I need to keep going. So um, You're going to stand before God. When I was little, you know, you'd hear a preacher, and he's going to play a video. It is appointed a man once to die. And then the judgment. You've done some things that you would be ashamed of. But you know what? You're going to stand before God and here's how it's going to go. Tyler, please stand. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I find nothing to your account. Well done, good and faithful. Come on in. That's the way it's going to go for every single one of you. Yeah, but... Are you going to argue with the Word of God? Yeah, but... Is your sin greater than God? You arrogant little twerp. You think you are smart enough or mean enough to do something? That the work of the cross that caused the mountains to tremble, <laughs> that caused the curtain to rip, that turned the sky dark. You think you're big enough to do something so bad that that same power and that same love can't justify you? You may have been asleep when it happened, but God justified you. That's what the Bible says. All right. It was number seven. It was, it was number four. Number four. Number five, we are reconciled. We are reconciled. Second Corinthians 5.19 To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Y'all may remember from a couple of teachings that the word reconcile means to bring two people back into relationship that are estranged from one another. It, it, it's a word about relationship. It's a word about making peace 
It's a word about restoring something that was originally intended to be. And when you declared that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, guess what happened? You were reconciled to God. You have relationship with God. That happened on the cross. Now, sometimes you don't feel like you have relationship with God. Jesus suffered alienation so that the curtain could rip and the Spirit of God could live inside of you. And you were reconciled to God. But I don't feel God. The Bible says you're reconciled to God. But where is God? God's in your heart. When I was in college, I had this poster on the wall. And it was a, it was a, it was a blurry forest with a drop of water coming off a leaf. And if you look in that drop of water, there is a tree in perfect focus a hundred feet away. If there is no God, who is that in your heart? Who is that living inside of you? You are reconciled to God through the cross by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but... Everybody say yeah, but... Yeah, but... Yeah, but... Good. I wanted to get those out there and just get rid of them. Because this is the word of God. And you've got to get rid of your yabbit religion. <laughs> Isn't this good? Hallelujah. I'm glad they put me to sleep. <laughs> and I'm glad I woke up healed. I'm glad that Jesus buried me and raised me with him. And that I have working in me something that God did. If I'd had to understand all of this before I could have it, I would have never gotten it. But because he's put it inside of me, it's what's working out of me. Number six, we walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Don't you know, as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. It is a whole new life. Most people, after they become a Christian, they experience the joy and, and it's like they know something has blown up inside of them. But because they don't get in the Word and because they don't come into agreement with what God's done, it begins to get stale and it begins to feel like, you know... I don't really know if much happened at all. It's not that much didn't happen. It's that you didn't take the time to appropriate it and begin to enjoy it. Listen, you have a whole new life. It's all there. It's inside of you. Don't give up. Sometimes it's a challenge. Sometimes it's a fight to get in touch with it. But you are not made better. You are recreated in a whole new creation. You've got to believe in what God did, not in what you think about your ability is. Hello. Ephesians 1, 19 through 21. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power, that power that shook the mountain toward us who believe, 
according to the working of that same power inside of us. The working of his mighty power. Everybody say power. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. I just don't know if I can overcome the devil. You, can, you cannot. It's already been done. Christ has already defeated the devil. And all he can do is lie to you. Number six, newness of life. Number seven, we are glorified as sons. We come alive to this relationship of sonship. Hebrews 2, 9 through 10. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He died for us, so we don't have to. Born once, you'll die twice. Born twice, you'll only die once. If you're born again, you will not be touched by the second death. For it became him for whom all things are, and by whom are all things. In other words, all things were created by him, but it was under the direction of God because it was created for him. It was only appropriate that he, in order to bring you as a son into glory, that he would suffer. It was only appropriate. God made the world for Jesus. And Jesus was the action that made it. And here it says it was only appropriate that he, he would die for you so that he could bring you back into the glory of sonship. And of course, over in Romans, it tells us that we have in us the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? It cries out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, the captain of our salvation suffered death so that we could return to the glory of sons of God, daughters of God. Hallelujah. That's all so precious. There's one more. Number, this is really number seven. And I, I saved it for the last. I, I think it's the one that I don't think I really understand all the implications, but it has a deep significance. Um, I was reading it one day, and it all of a sudden just popped, and I'm like, whoa. You know, you know how I said God did a bunch of things inside of us that we didn't know? There's always been stuff working inside of us that we don't know. And uh, here's one of them. Hebrews 2, 14, 15, and we may read some more. I don't know. Now listen to this. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. This is why Jesus had to become flesh. Because he had to demonstrate and then he had to... Redeem us 
become the sacrifice for us. And we can talk about the specific of, of, of the blood and those details, but we don't have time this morning. That he partook of the same thing, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. He took on flesh and blood because through death he destroyed the power of death. Listen to this. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. People didn't know it, but they were subject to the slavery of the flesh because they were afraid of death. Now, you may not have a cognitive fear of death, but it's really the fear of death that motivates people. On one side, they're afraid they're going to miss out on something. One day we're going to die. The Epicureans eat, drink, and be merry. There's a, there's a wicked commercial on the computers right now. It's for Sexton. Um, I don't know if it's bourbon or what it is, but it's like you only live once. Live good. And it's about experiencing the things you want to experience before you die. That's ancient. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. I saw that the first time, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. So because you're afraid of death, you party. You spend your living. You spend your... You spend your life on riotous living. Instead of building gold and silver, you're building experience after experience. I've got to experience this. I've got to do that. You're in slavery to the fear of death. Unless, unless you're afraid and you won't do anything. Because you know that it might kill me or I might die young and I can't do that. Think about it. What I want to do, I can't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. A lot of that, more than you know, has to do with the fear of death. And we don't think about it cognitively until death comes. There are so many stories in literature that the, the, the end of the story is this. As death comes, everything comes into focus. All the things you wanted to do didn't mean a thing. And all the things you didn't do, you should have done. But now death is here. And that makes you realize you missed it. And it was because of the fear of death that you never did do it. Hello. And so, as an application, the church has, what we've done, we've organized two events that we want everybody to participate in. We're going to go skydiving in three weeks, and uh, then uh, in the winter, we're going to go down to the Bahamas, and we're going to go deep sea scuba diving. For all of you that have lived in fear, and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, 
subject to lifelong slavery. Hallelujah. We don't know how that worked in us, the fear of death. But it still works in our mind. But you know what the truth is? We've been delivered from death. You are not going to die again. You have already died. It's over. It's done. The only death, it's gone. The real death is gone. Oh, this body will go to the grave, but you're not going to die. (laughs) One day, this body will release your spirit. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In other cultures, to be absent from the body is to be into this abyss of unknowing. Hallelujah. Death. I don't fear death. And I think it's coming to the place that that we understand death as nothing but a switch of address. Hallelujah. How many of you all have been keeping up with um, keeping up with uh, Courtney? Anybody keeping up with Courtney? Really, Cor- Courtney Bradley? You all remember Cor- Courtney and Patrick? Well, Courtney went in day before yesterday to get her second Aurora. I didn't even know you were here. Hi. Um, she went in to get her second COVID shot, and after they gave it to her. Uh, she immediately uh, went into uh, a reaction and her throat closed and they gave her an EpiPen. It didn't work. They gave her a second one and they, they, did, they thought it was a heart attack. They didn't know what it was. But she did die or she almost died. You know, however you want to tell the story. But it was face-to-face with death. And if you all know, uh, I don't know if you all remember, but Brenda and Courtney were really close friends. And uh, we spent a lot of time with Courtney and Patrick, and there's all kinds of good stories. But uh, she, she, um, she, everybody was trying to get in touch with her, so she wrote an article and put it on Facebook. And uh, so uh, I want to read it, and then, uh, then uh, maybe we can worship a little bit. See why I wanted to worship at the end? Doesn't this stuff make you want to worship? Hallelujah. You guys can come on up, and uh, I'll I'll just read this. Just hang out up here. All right, so this is Courtney. She's put this on Facebook. Um, The EMT, so Courtney, uh, well, to make a long story short, she can't make a long story short. (laughs) So I lifted a few things out of it. Um, I said that last night, and Courtney was watching. Courtney and Patrick watched last night. And about, you know, 752 uh, on my phone, it goes, hallelujah. And uh, so I doubt they're listening this morning, but uh, I lifted parts of it. So I'll just read this and then uh, say a couple of things, and then and we'll worship. The EMT, who told me his name was Hayden, told me to breathe. Breathe slower and try to relax. I held my eyes closed. Everything went green, bright, light green. I saw a black tunnel and felt myself being sucked into it. The same sensation when you're on the top end of a swing and gravity naturally pulls you down. 
At this point, my face was numb. My whole body tingled hot again, and I couldn't move anything. Only breathe. I consciously fought away from the tunnel. Everything flashed green again, bright, light green. And for the first time, I had the conscious thought I could die. I waited for fear to come after realizing this, but it didn't. My body felt crazy and out of my control. The shaking, the labored breathing, the tingling, the numbness, the heat, the inability to move, the insane heart rate. But as I continued to stare into the greenness, my soul felt calm. The green reminded me of the 23rd Psalm of Green Pastures. In my mind, I recited, The Lord is my shepherd. I am with God, and God is with me. The Lord is my shepherd. God, I am with you, and you are with me. All the green went black, and I was sucked into the tunnel. I don't know how long I was in the tunnel. I awoke to the sound of Hayden talking to me, saying, You're going to be okay. No one's dying on my watch. I didn't schedule for it. I suddenly became able to move my mouth and speak. With breathy voice, I told Hayden all about my kids, their full names, and I'm sure she told him what their names meant, their ages, and what they were like. I told Hayden about Patrick, how he's the best man on the planet, and not only do I love him, but I like him too, and he's my best friend. I told Hayden about God and how he is good. God is good and trustworthy, and I am good because I am with him. I thanked Hayden for helping me, especially on a Friday night when I'm sure he'd rather be with his own children. We arrived at the hospital, and it was a blur into the room. Then she talks about how Patrick had, since they only had one car, he had grabbed Theo, uh, their youngest, and he had ran all the way to CVS, where she'd got the shot, and, um, and then uh, how she's you know, taken to the hospital, and now she's pretty sure she's not going to die. <laughs> and now I get to spend more years here glorifying him, enjoying him, and being like him so that others can see, too, that God is our home. God is good and true and so, so beautiful. I could have died last night. If I died, God would still be my home. And God still would be good. And God still would be true. And God still would be so, so beautiful. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You have my life and heart forever. Romans has been my guiding thoughts Christ, who is at the right hand of God and who also is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we have complete victory through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor heavenly rulers nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to 
separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am in the presence of God whom I believe. The God who makes the dead alive and summons the things that do not yet exist as though they do already. Stand up and we're going to worship. But before we do, I want you to repeat after me. If you will. My sins are forgiven. I am saved. I am redeemed. I am justified by the cross of Christ. I am reconciled by the cross of Christ. I walk in newness of life through the cross of Christ. I am glorified as a son because of the cross of Christ. And death has no power over me because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Hallelujah. Let's worship.